0: the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, Amen.
1: We were all gathered all all his disciples in that same upper room, that upper room where we'd celebrated the Passover just 3 days before. But today we were all in shock. We'd watched Jesus be crucified the next day after that Passover feast and it was still sinking in. The emotions were overwhelming. We were all grieving. Jesus was gone. The Master, the Lord, was dead. No one had ever looked into my eyes and seen right through me the way he had. No one had ever loved me the way he did. It had been an amazing three years since he called me from the Sea of Galilee when I was fishing and said, Follow me. And so for three years I heard him teach and I followed him and walked with him and learned from him. But it was over. Yes, we were overwhelmed with grief that morning. But we weren't just sad. (laughs) No, I was mad. (laughs) I was mad at those cruel Romans who'd crucified him. I was mad at the Jewish leaders who'd caused this whole thing to happen. But most of all, and... I'm just being honest with you. I was mad at Jesus. I mean, he talked so glowingly of this kingdom of God that was coming and we'd get to be part of it and it was wonderful and he'd raised our hopes. We had trusted him and now we felt betrayed by him. I'd put my life in his hands. And then his, his hands just let me go and we're nailed to that bloody cross. Yeah, we were mad. But probably more than anything, we were afraid. <laughs> well, I take that back. We weren't afraid. We were terrified. I mean, think about it. If they'd beaten and killed Jesus so horribly... Crucifying him on that ugly, despicable cross. What would they do to us, his followers? We were convinced they would hunt us down like dogs and torture us and kill us. We were terrified that morning. We were trying to make plans to sneak out of town without getting caught when suddenly there was this loud commotion coming up the stairs, and we thought, it's got to be the Romans. My heart skipped a beat when suddenly the door burst open and in ran those two Marys. (laughs) I mean, they crashed through the door into the room. I'd never seen them so excited. They were going on and on, and we couldn't make sense of it for a while until we finally calmed them down enough to get the story straight, and it's finally started to make sense (laughs) they'd been to the tomb there'd been angels and then Jesus showed up and they had spoken with him, they touched his feet he'd met them there and they truly believed he was alive (laughs) I wanted to believe too I wanted to. But I was so afraid of being disappointed again. But I had to know. So I think Peter had the same idea because both of us ran down the stairs and ran down the street and headed straight for the tomb. Now Peter's kind of slow, so I beat him there. (laughs) And when I got there, I peeked in And I took it all in in a second. There where where Jesus had been laid where his grave clothes just neatly folded and stacked. But Jesus was not there. He was gone. He was gone. I still wasn't sure what to think and so I, I went back with Peter to the upper room and we were trying to figure all this out and we were with the other disciples. And suddenly, when we were there, Jesus suddenly just appeared among us. I mean, He just appeared. <laughs> and believe me, it really was Jesus. We, we touched Him. We spoke with Him. And over the next 40 days, He taught us and walked with us until we saw Him ascend into heaven. Uh, I was amazed. I was excited. I was afraid. I was overwhelmed. Jesus was alive. Folks, we know from the New Testament and from the testimony of history that those terrified disciples were transformed when they saw the risen Christ those who were trying to sneak out of town suddenly began telling everyone they could see that Jesus was really alive. In fact, those disciples, both men and women, most of them were martyred for their faith. They gave up their lives because they knew, they believed, they saw the risen Christ. And it changed their lives forever. So what about us today? 2,000 years later. We don't get to be there. We weren't there seeing the risen Christ, but there's an interesting passage in Romans chapter 10 that says this. If you confess Jesus as Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What... He says, Is that when we call upon Him, when we believe by the testimony of the apostles, those who saw the risen Christ, when we believe in our hearts that that's true, it really happened, their lives were transformed, that Jesus is alive? It says, What happens to us is we are saved, we are changed. What does that really mean? What does it mean to be saved? What does believing in the resurrection really accomplish? For us today, 2,000 years later. Well, this passage we're looking at in Ephesians chapter 2 gives a marvelous picture for us of what it means for us to be risen with Christ. So let's look at this together. Pray with me. Lord, as we look at this marvelous passage together, we celebrate today, this Easter day, your resurrection. But, Lord, we need to understand how it's impacted us. We need to know how we have been risen with you, raised with you, and seated with you. So, Lord, open our hearts by your Spirit to teach us today what the resurrection means for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul begins this section by describing our condition apart from Christ. What people are like who have not come to faith, who have not trusted in the resurrection of Jesus. And he uses this phrase a couple of times in the verse 1. He says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Again, in verse 5, Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Paul's description of someone who hasn't put their faith in Christ is that they are dead. What does he mean by this? I mean, clearly, a lot of people who don't know Jesus are walking around. They're living, they're breathing, they're physically alive. So clearly, he's not talking about physical death there. What does he mean? Well, I've been around quite a few dead bodies, both family and I've had the privilege of walking with a number of you as you have said goodbye to loved ones. And there's three characteristics that jump out to me when I think about somebody who's dead. Number one, there's an absence of life. Uh, there's no pulse. There's no movement. There's no brain waves. There's no sign of life at all. If you've ever been there in that situation it's so clear that the person is no longer there there is no life secondly when you're around a dead person you realize that they are powerless that body cannot move cannot act cannot think cannot do anything it's powerless and then third a dead body is alone. It's separated from any relationship. There, there is no way to talk or relate or have conversation with someone who's dead. They're gone. So Paul is clearly not talking about physical death. What is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual death. People apart from Christ who haven't come and believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ are spiritually dead. In other words, they have no evidence of spiritual life in them. There's no spiritual pulse. There's no, none of God's life there. They may be walking around, but they don't have God's life in them. Secondly, they're powerless. In the first three verses, Paul says someone apart from Christ is dead and he describes it this way. He says they are controlled by the world and by Satan and by their own flesh, their own desires. They are enslaved. They are powerless to do anything truly of their own will. They're dead spiritually. And then thirdly, when you are spiritually dead, you are separated from God. You have no relationship with God. You cannot connect with Him because you have no life in you. You do not have His life, and you're essentially alone apart from God in this world, what existentialists call isolation. It doesn't mean you don't have, can't have some relationship, but you can't have the kind of depth of relationship even with other people that you can if you are spiritually Alive. So that's what he says, the people apart from Christ, that's our condition, every one of us before Christ, is that we are dead spiritually. So if we're dead to God in our rejection of him and stuck in our sin, then why would he save us? Why would he do anything to help us get out of that What would motivate him to not just destroy us and start over? Because that is what we deserve. Well, Paul uses three wonderful phrases in this passage to describe the motivation of God, what moved his heart to reach out and do something about our dead condition. The first phrase is in verse 4 where he says, God being rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. You know they deserve punishment. You know they deserve what's bad. But mercy says, No, I will look upon you with mercy and say, No, I will be merciful to you. I will not give you the punishment you deserve. But more than just being merciful, it says, Paul says that God is rich in mercy. Now, someone who's rich is somebody who has a lot, right? I mean, if they're rich in money, they have a lot. If they're rich in friends, they have a lot of friends. They have a superabundance, an overabundance. And it says that God is rich in mercy. No matter how much we blow it, no matter how much we struggle and sin and fail to trust God, when we go to the bank and say, I need your mercy, God, the bank account never runs dry. In fact, there's a superabundance, and no matter how much we withdraw of God's mercy, there's always more because He's rich in mercy. The second phrase that Paul uses in the same verse here is he says, because of His great love with which He loved us. That word great means to have an overabundant amount. His love... His delight in us is overflowing towards us. You see, God so longs for a healed relationship with us, for that separation to be bridged so that we could know Him and be in relationship with Him, that because of His great love, that superabundance of love. I think of the ocean. I love going to the ocean and seeing the vastness of it. And when I think of that, and think about God's love and the vastness of the ocean that goes on and on. And No matter how much you try to withdraw, there's always more. The depths of God's love go on and on and on. Paul says, because of the great, superabundant love of God, he acted on our behalf. And the third phrase is in verse 7, where he says, because of the immeasurable riches of his grace. What is grace? Again, mercy is not giving someone what they deserve, the bad part. <laughs> grace is giving something, somebody the good that they don't deserve. That's grace. Giving somebody the good thing that they don't deserve. Blessing, favor from God. And I love this phrase, the immeasurable riches Of His grace. This grace goes on and on. It never ends. It's infinite. I like thinking about God's grace in terms of the universe. Scientists cannot find the edge of the universe, they can't find the end of it. It goes on and on and on. It is infinite. And He says, that's what God's grace is His favor towards you. The riches of that favor go on and on and on and on, infinitely. Immeasurably. And so because of God's incredible, incredible mercy and love and grace, he acted. Though we were dead, he acted. He did something amazing. He united us with Jesus. If you will really want to know what Paul's talking about here, that's what he's talking about. Being united with with Jesus one with Jesus so that the resurrection of Jesus now applies to us when Jesus rose from the dead we rose with him by faith God made Jesus alive raised him up and seated him in the heavenlies and God does the same with us by faith because we are united to Jesus that's our new identity in Christ that's who we are What makes a Christian a Christian is not what church you go to. It's not even what doctrines you believe. But it's by faith being united with Christ. And how does that happen practically? He puts His Holy Spirit in us. When you put your trust in Him, He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit and unites us. With Christ, uh, Three, again, marvelous phrases he uses to describe what's happened to us. He says, first of all, that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, he made us alive with Christ. We were dead, spiritually dead, but he enervated us. He made us alive. There were no signs of life, but he plants his Holy Spirit in us and makes us alive. There's an analogy that helps me, it may help you, Uh, thinking of us in terms of body, soul, and spirit, that we have our physical bodies and then our souls are the conscious parts of us and our emotions and mind and will. But at the deepest core of who we are is our spirit. And when you're spiritually dead, that spirit is empty. It's made for God, but it's empty. But when you put your faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He plants His Holy Spirit in you and suddenly you're made alive. You may or may not feel different, but you are different because you were alive. Our spirits were empty dead, but now we have God's life living in us. We were made alive with Christ. Secondly, we were raised up with Christ. Again, we were powerless to act or do anything on our own behalf spiritually. We we couldn't, couldn't impact anybody or anything in a spiritual way, but... By putting his spirit in us, he raised us up so now we can act. We can be obedient. We can follow him. We don't have to follow our old masters, the world, the flesh, the devil. We can obey him and follow him. We were raised up to walk with Christ. And then third, he says, we were seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Seated with him in the heavenlies. What does this mean? Well, a bit of a Downton Abbey spoiler here if you haven't watched the end of season two. In Downton Abbey, the PBS big hit that's had three years run now, Downton Abbey is a big estate in England, and there's the upstairs. The upstairs is where the family lives. It's where the privileges are. It's where those who are valued live. Downstairs is where the servants are. They eat separately. They live separately. They are there simply to make the family successful. But they are slaves, essentially. They're servants. But And never the twain shall meet, right? But in one of the episodes... Part of the story is that one of the servants falls in love with one of the daughters. Now this is outrageous. This is scandalous. It should not happen. But they fall in love and they get married. And all of a sudden, Tom, this servant, is welcomed in as part of the family. He now has all the privileges of the family. He was a servant. He was downstairs and now he is upstairs and has all the rights and privileges and the intimacy and the welcome of being part of the privileged family. What a marvelous picture of what Jesus has done for us. Do we deserve to be there? No. But He's raised us up and seated us at the table with Him. We are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, which means we have intimacy, acceptance, closeness. We belong. We're no longer slaves. We are sons and daughters of the living God. You see, when you unite with Christ by faith... You become one with him and you are seated with him in that place of intimacy with the living God. What a gift. And notice, it's all his work. I mean, what's our part in this passage? Our part is simply to sin and be spiritually dead. And somebody who's dead can't do anything of value. But what's his part? He raised us up he made us alive with Christ. He raised us up with Christ. He seated us with Christ. It's all past tense. We can enjoy the reality of all this now because of what He has done in meeting us where we are. This little monologue at the beginning. You, you heard John and you heard his emotions and what he was going through and the pain. And the truth was Jesus was risen. And whether he had doubts or fears or whatever, his feelings didn't matter. The truth was, Christ was alive. And it's true for us as well. No matter what our feelings are, whether we feel saved, whether we feel alive, whether we feel raised with Christ, whether we feel seated with Him, that is the reality of who we are by virtue of the Holy Spirit that He planted in us by faith. I love the picture of baptism to describe this because baptism, what God asks us to do, Jesus asks us to do as followers of him, to publicly declare our faith in him. Baptism is this picture of being buried, being dead with Christ and then being raised to newness of life. And suddenly we're alive and we're washed clean and we are now with him forever. We've risen with Christ by faith. I want to ask this morning. Where are you today? Have you made that choice to be risen with him? To, to do what it says in Romans 10, verse 9 and following. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. I, I submit my life to you, Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The resurrection is true and Jesus is alive today. I declare it. I proclaim it. Are you ready to do that? Have you done that? If you haven't, today's the day. God welcomes you with open arms. He wants you to come into His kingdom and He wants to seat you with Him in the heavenly places that you might be spiritually alive and begin to walk with Him so that when you step into heaven, it's just another step. Today is the day of salvation. John and the other witnesses, the other disciples, witnessed the resurrection and it changed their lives forever. When we put our faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changes our lives forever. So let Jesus do the same for you today. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, how amazing it is that you chose not just to be raised and ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father, Lord Jesus, but you united us with you by faith so that we could be the same, that what applies to you now applies to us, and we can be raised and seated with you by virtue of the Holy Spirit in us even now. Help us to walk in that newness of life. And for anyone who has not chosen to give their lives to you, may they do that today, this Easter day. May this be a resurrection day for them as well. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.